Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, November 23rd, we're studying Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. St. Paul teaches Titus how to instruct Christians in every station of life, those things that accord with sound doctrine and godliness, all centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Philip Hoppe. Pastor Hoppe serves at Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota. Pastor Hoppe, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Hey, I'm glad to be back with you today to continue discussing God's Word and how it uh, applies to our faith in life. So we get started this morning, Pastor Hoppe, give us some context. What have we seen in Titus so far? What do we need to know about the epistle as a whole that will help us into chapter 2 today? Right. So just if people happen to have not caught the previous uh, couple episodes here getting into the book, you know, we, we get this basic idea that Paul is writing uh, Titus, uh, who he's left behind in Crete to basically set up the church there. Um, and as we look at that, we're told that Crete uh, does not exactly have a good reputation. Uh, even though uh, it's the famed birthplace of Zeus, uh, the people there don't seem to want to do much with any sort of talk of God at all uh, and uh, are mostly concerned with money. And into that kind of disorder, uh, God lays out his order. Uh, and I would suggest, you know, he does it first in, in Titus 1, uh, talking about his order in the church. Uh, in the part we'll cover today, uh, he covers kind of the order of the household. Uh, and then in the final chapter, he'll also talk about the order of how we relate to the state. And so, um, you know, I think it's important for us who maybe most of us are maybe uh, you know constantly thinking that we are uh, being disordered more and more in our culture and our society uh, to know that the answer is not to just go along or just to bemoan the fact that that's happening, but it is also to preach and teach God's order uh, and to seek to live it faithfully, uh, to give even our world a sight of what is good uh, as God has revealed it to us. We saw the theme of order come up from the very beginning of this epistle. We talked about it at the very first episode on chapter one, where Paul identifies himself as a servant or a slave and the importance of being under orders. We even saw the word insubordinate come up in the the next section as, as he's describing the situation in Crete, as you as you said. And it's it's almost as if we're reverting to that situation in our present day and age. You and I were talking before we, we started recording, Pastor Hoppy, about the the good old days weren't always so good. And and it seems like we're reverting back to almost a, a Cretan sort of atmosphere with this lack of order. And well, you've talked about the church, the home, the state. Oh, before we get into the text, Pastor Hoppy, maybe lay out those three things. Sometimes they're referred to as the three estates. What's the importance of recognizing that and the order that is given in scripture for each one of those estates. Right. Yeah. I think the basic idea here, at least how most people might encounter this, or I hope they've encountered it, but when you go into the small catechism, you get into the table of duties, this kind of section that appears at first glance just to be random Bible verses about random vocations or random callings. Uh, and it is that. And yet when you kind of look in the scriptures and especially study how the church throughout time has sort of uh, helped us uh, put together things in scriptures, uh, we find out that God uh, rules in three primary areas in our life, uh, that of the home and the state and the church. Um, and in Titus here, we seem to get instruction about all three, but in all three of those areas, God gives people uh, authority to serve, uh, and he also calls others to live under that authority uh, in obedience, uh, and that they receive then the benefit of living under someone else's 
care and all of that pointing ultimately to Christ's authority over his church uh, for us uh, to know that and to understand how we relate to relate to him. All of these earthly uh, relationships give us a, a picture of that. I mean, that's a, a real brief run through, uh, but I think it is, it's very helpful, at least to me, um, in trying to just think through life in general, to think how those three areas um exist and how they uh, counter uh, or how they interact, I should say, with each other, maybe sometimes counteract each other as well. Well, and, and part of the part of the key, I think, as Christians is to recognize that we live in all three. We're part of the estate of the church, which again, we looked at a little bit in chapter one. And I think there's there's some overlap in, in these texts, but we live in all three. We're a part of the church, we're a part of the family, and we're a part of the state. And and to recognize that is important that, hey, God actually has something to say to me, not just within, quote, my church life, but within my family life, how I live as a father, how I live as a husband, how I interact with my neighbors. He's got something to say about my, my citizenship in this country. God cares about that. He is, you use the the term, he rules, he reigns over that. This is a part of the way that he reigns among us or over us. And he, he puts us in these orders in order to, I think, to, to serve us, to give us his gifts. That's sometimes I, I think, and maybe this is, I don't know if it's an American phenomenon or if it's just a, a phenomenon for sinful people. We don't like to be under orders. We don't like to other people to tell us that they're in charge or that, that they have some sort of authority over us. But when God gives authority, he does so for the purpose of giving us his good things. And that's true in all three of those estates. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That we get to live under him in his kingdom is yeah. is this kind of talk here, right? But it's that's all good news in the small catechism, right? Live under him in blessedness, innocence, and righteousness all of our days. That's that's good news. God is giving us those things. He's giving us innocence and righteousness. Uh, and so, yeah, even in those other uh, spheres of life, we also understand that God is giving us his good gifts, whether they be for body or soul, uh, or sometimes, right? for both at the same time, and maybe most often <laughs> for both at the same time. Let's go ahead and take a look at what Paul says here. We've got 15 verses today, chapter two of Titus. Paul writes, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are, be dis are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are, not, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. That is Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Pastor Hoppe, the first verse of the chapter really bridges the gap, I think, from chapter 1 into chapter 2, serves as an introduction for everything that Paul gives us. As for you, Titus, as opposed to those false teachers he was just talking about in the end of chapter 1, as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Take us into that very first verse. Well, yeah, I think we might almost think here, if we were just anticipating what would be said, we might think that he might just say here, but as for you, teach sound doctrine. 
But interestingly, he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He's sort of putting a distinction between what he's going to say and sound doctrine. Now, we should be careful here. What follows is in one way sound doctrine. But I think Timothy in particular, or excuse me, Titus rather, excuse me, in particular here, wants to make this distinction between sound doctrine, which is sort of at the heart of the faith, what we might often refer to just theology in general, understanding who God is, and in particular, what he has done in his son, Jesus. And he's told uh, us already in that first chapter, Paul told us there, that indeed he was the one Uh, or excuse me, he has told us there that we are to think through and know sound doctrine. In particular, the elders that he's appointing there are to teach sound doctrine. And so to me, it seems like he's taking another step here. He's saying now, what are the other teachings? What are the other things you can teach that are actually going to be built upon that chief doctrine of the church. And so here he goes into things that are very much day-to-day living kind of things, but they're not unrelated to the sound doctrine that it says at the heart of our faith, what God has done in Christ. Um, We often, in our theology, we like to distinguish, right, our faith and our life. And there are good reasons that we do that, right? Because we don't want anyone to be confused into thinking that they can earn their way uh, into God's favor, but that they would understand that that comes by grace through faith. And yet saying that, we can say that in the Bible, faith and life uh, are very closely linked together always, right? Where there is faith, there is this newness of life. Where grace has been given, uh, the fruits of the Spirit will come forward. Uh, We might say that sound words or sound doctrine and godliness uh, are companions. And so that's what we're getting at here at first is that Paul is telling Titus here now that he is to teach all things uh, that will accord with sound doctrine or that will buoy up that sound doctrine uh, for the people he is teaching. There have been other guests, and I'm sure that I've said it too, who have compared theology to a body, that the theology or doctrine to a body, that that it's all interconnected. You you don't you don't sort of just separate. Well, this part of doctrine we can mess with that without it affecting the rest. If you start messing with your fingers, it's going to hurt the whole body. Now, some parts are going to hurt your body more than others. To use that image, but it's all interconnected. And I think that that's what you're seeing here with this. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. That the way that Christians live very much influences the way they believe and vice versa. It goes back and forth. There's a Latin saying that that goes, oh, I hope I don't get this wrong. Lex, oran- lex orandi, lex credendi, or maybe the other way around. The law of faith is the law of, uh, am I getting this wrong, Pastor Hoppy? Do you know no, what I'm yeah. talking about? No, the yeah, law, absolutely. The law yeah. of faith is the law of prayer, right? Or, it, yeah. you know, the way you live or the way you worship affects the way you believe and, and vice versa. It's probably the other way first. The way yeah. you believe is the way you affects the way you live, but they go both ways. And I think that's that's what you're seeing here from Paul, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that that our faith and our life do go together. And one uh, can even instruct the other in a way, right? That if we're living in God's order, it's also going to kind of keep pushing us back to sound words as well, right? If we want to kind of put together here sound uh, words and sound living would be a good kind of distinction here throughout this whole section, but that each of those actually aids the other, right? There can be no sound living without sound doctrine, but we also can say that sound living is going to lead us back time and time again to sound doctrine because it's going to lead us to those people that God has appointed for us uh, as those to give us his good gifts. The Latin phrase, I looked it up, lex orandi, lex credendi, the law of prayer is the law of faith. And so those two things go together. The other thing that came to mind, which I think fits well, is the way that, that Luther instructs us in the small catechism, particularly the first petition, hallowed be thy name. And, and how God's name is kept holy among us is, is certainly when the word of God is taught in truth and purity. There's sound doctrine. But also when we as the children of God lead holy lives according to it. And, and Paul's putting both of those things together for us very nicely. And I know we'll, we'll come to this as we go through the text, but there's multiple occasions throughout this where Paul will say, live this way, do these things. Well, where is it? Verse five, that the word of God may not be reviled or uh, later in verse eight, so that your 
sound speech cannot be condemned and an opponent may be put to shame. Or in verse 10, that in everything they would adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The way that we live influences the way others think about God. And I think that we'll probably come to that a little bit later, but I think all of these things tie together very nicely. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And I think, yeah, there's a there's a benefit for us. And also, like you said, we'll get into later that uh, Paul certainly seems to suggest here that even perhaps the, uh, what do we want to say, the openness of the world to hear the sound words that we want to speak to them is also influenced by our living, or at the very least, right, if, if our living is not uh, in a line with what God has ordered, uh, we'll give them a very easy excuse not to listen, perhaps is the best way to put it. We talked about that when it came to the qualifications for overseers, which is in both First Timothy and this letter, that one of the overarching themes is that the overseer, the pastor, would not put an obstacle in anyone's way to the hearing of the gospel. Well, as it turns out, that's going to be true for the entire Christian church as well, as Paul will lay it out here. Now, as you said, Pastor Hoppy, Paul gets down to just really day-to-day stuff, and, and he divides Christians into to four classes of people. You've got your older men and older women, and you've got your younger women and your younger men. So we'll take them one at a time as Paul lays it out. Number Verse two, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. We can we can dig in as much as you want. We'll, we'll start with sober-minded because that's a theme that comes up with the older women as well. Yeah, and when we read sober-minded here, it's certainly not a bad translation because it is, I think, at the key, uh, you know, at the center, right, of what it means to be sober in general, right, is that you uh, have the ability to use your mind. And again, I think people know this just from their own life, right, that people that we would say are not sober in relationship to various substances or whatever, the prime way that you can tell that uh, is that they're not thinking straight. And so uh, Paul here encourages Titus uh, to teach the older men that they are to be concerned about their soberness uh, in order that they have their minds to use in service to God. Uh, But we should not get away from the fact here that literal soberness is being addressed here, that uh, we are talking here about not losing control of the faculty of your mind by uh, using any sort of substance, alcohol, drugs, whatever it might be, uh, that would impair the mind. Um, and again, we, um, I, you know, I assume most of our readers, uh, perhaps, although again, things are changing in our world, maybe the topic of drugs, we would more easily, uh, you know, assent to this and go, yeah, we should stay away from that. But uh, we know that us Lutherans, we have a pretty good, even historical connection to alcohol, right? Uh, you hear the stories of Katie Luther brewing her beer and <laughs> all of those kind of things. And so it is important that as we approach these texts, we're clear both that alcohol is and can be a great gift of God in our lives, right? And yet at the same time that we're constantly instructed in the scripture that it should not take control of us. And if it does, that's sinful. And that's really part of what's being talked about here with these older men. Sure. And and, and not to get, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when, under older women, Paul there says that they would not be slaves to much wine. So the theme of of drunkenness comes up twice in these verses, particularly for those who are older. It's in the older men and older women sections. And and I think, you know, you might be on there something, Pastor Hoppy, because we, we sometimes joke about it, right? Lutheran beverages or something like that. And and I, you know, I get it. Um First Timothy chapter five, Paul does encourage the young pastor Timothy there to to go ahead and use alcohol responsibly and, and in a medicinal way. And certainly it's a gift of God that can be received with thanksgiving. But we can never let that take away the warnings that we get concerning drunkenness in scripture. There were a couple of sections in the book of Proverbs where we were going through that, you know, recently on Sharper Iron. And as I was reading through them again, I I kind of thought to myself, wow, I, I forgot that this was in here, that these warnings about what drunkenness can do to a person, all the while not rejecting God's good gift, but those warnings of drunkenness are there. And, and sometimes I, I think we we forget them or take them 
perhaps a bit more lightly than we should. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And I, you know, sometimes again, we can react to one error with another, right? And so we can react to the error that suggests that alcohol could never have any place uh, in the Christian's life or in the Christian church. And we kind of overreact to say, well, yeah, of course it can. And then we sort of just go off and almost just with a, you know, sort of libertine way of looking at those things instead of again saying, no, what does the scripture actually teach? And that it both teaches, right? that it is not an evil in and of itself, but it is something that often leads to great trouble. And if we can go back to the order word, right, great disorder uh, in people's lives. And therefore, uh, we should take that seriously and we should uh, take it seriously also when we're dealing with one another, right? Not just uh, laugh off or pass off, you know, someone that is a Christian and yet uh, is constantly uh, engaging in these things and just say, oh, you know, whatever, that's just what he does for fun. Well, no, this is something that God calls us to. So under under older men, then, after sober-minded, literal soberness, also in view there, you get dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Keep, keep taking us through what Paul has to say concerning older men. Sure. I think the word we get here is uh, uh, as dignified. Uh, we should really read here sort of that uh, we're to be people, especially these older men again, are to be people that take serious things seriously, right? Uh, we might use the word reverence here uh, in the same uh, thought pattern. Um, and that's certainly something, again, that uh, we could probably say all of us are certainly called to, but here in this uh, section, we'll look at older men, that they are to know, right, when they are about the things of God, that they should take those seriously. Uh, we might see this first and foremost uh, in the house of worship, that they're taking those things seriously, that this is not some sort of child's play, but is, uh, you know, life and death stuff that's going on. But I think really in our entire lives, right, we understand that there are serious matters um, to deal with. And so we should take those things seriously. So again, this is not, you can't ever have fun. You can't have a sense of humor, but it's to know when serious things are being done and to take them seriously. Um, and then, you know, it goes on self-controlled kind of follows with that, right? Because self-controlled, you know, literally or sort of woodenly is saved of mind, right? Is kind of how you would translate that. What does it mean again? Well, it's all about this having control over your mind or uh, later we'll get some things that'll talk about kind of the control that we're supposed to have um, as God's people over our bodies, our bodily desires in particular. Uh, but when we look at all of those things, um, we see that God is calling us to have control so that we remain ever thoughtful about his things and we're ever engaging in his uh, good gifts that he gives to us. Self-control is a is one of the fruit of the spirit, as Paul lists them in the letter to the Galatians, and so and that you see come up in multiple sections here in this table of duties. The matter of self-control. What about sound in faith, love, and steadfastness for these older men? I tend to think this is sort of a uh, you know an all-encompassing three here, that he's basically telling us here, right, we're to be sound in faith. And I think that mostly relates here probably to belief, almost in the sense of what is believed, right? And then that is to be love, or that is to be lived out in love. And then from there, right, that the, all of that is to be done with steadfastness, both holding to our beliefs and also at the same time uh, being active in love. And that older men are to set the example here, probably for everybody. Body, right? That these are the things we're steadfast about. We're steadfast about our teaching, our doctrine, which is there at the heart of our faith. And we also then allow that uh, teaching, right, to motivate us to go forward and live lives of love, uh, yes, towards God reverently, but also towards our neighbors uh, in all the ways that we're going to speak about today. After talking to the older men, the next category, older women. And we've mentioned the matter of not being slaves to wine already. They are to be reverent in behavior and not slanderers. Those are the first two things that Paul mentions for them. Reverent in behavior sounds a lot like what we were talking about for the older men in terms of what you're saying in, in the word dignified as it's translated in the ESV. How about the, the matter of slandering there? Um, yeah, so they're not to be people uh, that are going around uh, falsely accusing 
others. Um, you know, it's hard to say. I'm always tentative here, but I definitely think we can say uh, when we read through this passage that some of the things that we might joke about being characteristics of certain ages of certain people, uh, they're not just something we think, right? There's something that seemed to be here throughout the ages. And so perhaps here, I've often said uh, in teaching kids about the commandments that, you know, you're not likely to, you know, go down to the LWML meeting and see, uh, you know, someone killing another person, but you might see them bearing false witness against someone else. Um, and again, I don't, I don't mean to just place a particular sin upon older women here, but I think there is a particular nature to these uh, instructions that are given. They, they seem to be aimed at things that are particular temptations to these people at this age. And so here they're told uh, that they're not to be slanders. They're supposed to be truthful in their speech. Uh, and that word underlying it here, you know, is, is diabolos. They're not, uh, not to be like the devil because this is what the devil does. He tells falsehood, he falsely accuses, uh, and they, the children of God, are not at all to be like the, the evil one uh, in their lives. Yeah, that, that's an important connection to make. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to the thought of particular temptations, particular sins in different stations of life, and and how Paul applies that, and and how we would apply it still today. But we're gonna pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, November 23rd. We are talking about Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. We've got Pastor Philip Hoppy with us. He serves at Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota. Pastor Hoppy, prior to the break, we started talking about this list that Paul gives, this table of duties to older men, older women, younger women, younger men. And we just jumped right in. And I should have brought this out at the very beginning, just the fact that Paul divides people up in this way. He, he categorizes them in this way and, and lists particular temptations, particular sins that each group perhaps is prone to. You started this conversation. Take us into that a little bit more. What's the usefulness of, of recognizing these particular sins and temptations that various groups might have and, and the strength that is needed in that without sort of throwing, you know, as, as you said, without throwing the LWML under the bus for being gossips. That's not what's happening. What What is Paul doing? Right. Well, I think it's, it is important again here to remember that these are in the pastoral epistles, right? And so um, we're being taught here that the pastor even himself, right, is both going to be dealing with people a little differently based on who they are uh, and is also then going to teach others to deal differently with people based on who they are. And, um, you know, these particular categories here are not ones we get in the table of duties when we look at it in the small catechism, this older man older women are not, you know, the categories that we get there. And yet this is a table of duties in itself. And I think here we see that different people are to play different roles. And so the older men that we talked about are really to set themselves up as examples in the faith, right? Particularly that I think the younger men, but more broadly, all Christians are going to look up to and are going to learn how to live a life of faith and to be sound in doctrine as well. Uh, the older women that we'll uh, talk about here a little bit more uh, now uh, are also have a similar uh, responsibility, but directed particularly towards the younger women, that they are to be both examples and teachers of the younger women to pass along this faith. Um, and then the younger women and the younger men, right, they are in a different station in their life. And so they're going to have particular things that are most tempting to them. And so without just staring 
stereotyping and generalizing everything, uh, it certainly is noteworthy that we as God's people should not be blind to the fact that particular stations in life come with particular temptations. And when we do that and just say, oh, no, everybody's kind of tempted to everything in the same way, uh, we really uh, are kind of robbing ourselves of some wisdom that God has given us uh, to know how to deal with people uh, in a godly way. It's not all that different from what Paul said in chapter one concerning Cretans and the way that he characterizes for Titus, look, this is the situation you're going to be in. And again, not that he was throwing the whole island of Crete under the bus there, but just an open-eyed look at this is the the ministry that you're going to have, Titus, is you're going to be speaking the truth of God's word in the midst of people that are prone to these kinds of sins. In a similar way here to to older men, older women, there's going to be different temptations that they're going to face. And I mean, I even just from my own experience growing up <laughs> as a younger man and then as a young pastor, and, to, and I'm still a young pastor, frankly, but but maybe I've, I'm not a baby pastor anymore. I've been a pastor <laughs> for 10 years. So I'm still young, but but even just thinking through the, the that time and the ways in which I was tempted to sin as a pastor fresh out of seminary and the ways that I'm tempted now, there's some differences. There are some differences. And, and I think that's and that's true across the board as people grow and age. There are certain temptations that they do start to recognize and, and to avoid more, Lord willing. And yet there are going to be new temptations, different temptations that come along and maybe we're not as quick to pick them up. And part of that is just simply the Christian life of constant repentance, of recognizing, yeah, I, I, I've seen this temptation and, and the Lord has answered my prayer of the sixth petition, lead us not to temptation. And then I was totally blind to this other one. And, and that's just a part of, of Christian life. And Paul's telling Titus here, look, open your eyes to it. Preach this way to different people so that they can see it too. Yeah, absolutely. And again, all within this idea that God has actually ordered these things, yeah. right? So when he goes back, uh, you know, when we, th- or I should say, when we think back to his time of creating, God already has in mind that in due time, there are going to be older men and older women. There are going to be younger men and younger women. And he is going to use those stations, right, uh, in his glorious order of how he's created all things. And we should uh, learn any wisdom he wishes to reveal to us about those stations and, and put it to use uh, both uh, looking at what station we're in, but also as we address others in other stations. So then back into what Paul actually says, we, we started into the older women that they should be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. Then they are to teach what is good. And, and Paul uses this to transition into the younger women. The older women are to train the younger women. And then he lists several things to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Start, take us through that transition, Pastor Oppie, from the older women into the younger women. Yeah, well, the first thing I would start here is to say that they're to be teachers of the good, right? As uh, those of us who understand that the scriptures teach us, right, that women are not called to the pastoral office and to that teaching office, sometimes, again, we can get into this idea that women uh, are not really to be teaching the faith at all. And God forbid that we would think that, right? Because we have specific words of the Lord that they do have a place to teach. And in in particular, two places. One, that the older women are to be teaching the younger women. Uh, and secondly, of course, that they are to be involved along with the father right, in teaching their children. But it should strike us here um, that while uh, Paul is talking to Titus, especially in the first chapter about the office of preaching and teaching, uh, he doesn't leave it just to Titus to do all the teaching of the faith. Uh, the women here are told, you have a role in passing along the faith as well. Uh, and the scriptures both say this, you know, in this way, where it just says, teach the faith. And then we see many examples um, where women uh, indeed did pass along the faith to others uh, through this way. And so, so they're to teach the faith. Uh, and then in particular, they're supposed to be training up the young 
women. They have a responsibility to the next generation to teach them what it looks like to be a godly woman. Uh, and we are, we are many times, I think we just don't do this much in our churches. And I think it's kind of uh, sad that we don't since we have, you know, biblical instruction here to do so. Uh, but we kind of think, well, each generation is sort of going to do their own thing. And if, if the older generation tries to tell the younger generation what to do, oh, they're not going to listen anyways. They're just going to kind of feel like, oh, those, those old fuddy-duddies are saying this. But the older women should know not only should they speak, they are charged by God to speak. And that this is a really key point to see that transfer, the passing down or the handing down of the knowledge from one generation to the next, and how vital a thing that is within the Christian church. And certainly that's true within biological families. You brought up the role of fathers and mothers within the family of teaching their children, but even within the congregation as a whole, the role of older women in training younger women, older men in training younger men, almost in, in what might commonly be called today the uh, idea of mentorship, that that those who have the experience, and isn't it something that Paul lists them first, those who have the experience, pass that experience down to the younger ones so that they can learn from it and, and not repeat the mistakes of the past. I'm thinking just on a very practical level that, that even, I mean, I think even those who are not Christian might recognize so that you would not repeat the mistakes of the past. Here we've got that godly wisdom that's coming from Paul, again, in relationship to the to the congregation, to the families. You kind of seeing how those the two estates here are kind of bleeding together to a degree, how how as Paul talks to you in terms of your family estate, he's also talking through the church estate as well. Just so we keep moving, Pastor Hoppy, take us briefly into what Paul says concerning how the younger women should act. Right. So the, the older women are not just told, you know, uh, take these young women under your arms and teach them whatever you want, right? They are given very specific things uh, that they are to pass on. And again, these things are beautiful, and yet they're often maligned in our day, right? So the young women, uh, you know, literally just kind of in the in the Greek here, right? They're to be husband lovers. They're to be children lovers. We get that word self-controlled for everybody, right? We, uh, No matter your age uh, or, you know, your gender or anything else, you are going to struggle with self-control in one way or another. So it's listed here for everybody. Uh, then we're told also they're to be home workers or they're to be working in the home. They're to be kind and probably in particular maybe to those in the household and they're to be submissive to their husbands. These are the things that the young women are to be trained into being, right? And it does, just like all these things, they are not things that come natural to our fallen nature, right? But they are things that are given to us by this new nature we have been given in holy baptism. But they need to be trained as well. Those two don't, you know, fight against each other. What we are uh, by God's grace and what we strive to be, those two go together. And in here, we get this word training, right? Here's what you are. <laughs> and now let me train you how to be that. Um, and when we look at these things, right, a lot of people will just see these as uh, traditional women's roles. And we see it as godly wisdom uh, that uh, speaks to how he has ordered all of creation and that young women are to be brought up to love their husbands, to love children, uh, to be self-controlled, to be working in the home, to see that as at the very least their prime uh, location where they have been given a role uh, by virtue of being uh, a woman in the home uh, and that they are to be submissive to their husbands, which is kind of a more standard uh, table of duties kind of uh, thing here that we get uh, in this section on younger women. And, and just so we don't miss this, this is one of those places then where Paul gives a, a consequence of this. He says, do these things so that the word of God may not be reviled. Right. And I think here in two ways. One, that the word of God might not be reviled in the sense that if we say, oh, these are old fashioned things that we shouldn't take seriously anymore, we are calling God and his word uh, not true. Right. And that's something obviously we don't want to do. That would be blaspheming the word of God that we're saying, oh, God didn't know what he was talking about in his word when he said that these are the things that women are to give themselves 
too, but also reviled in the sense that uh, in the world as well, that if young women take up these things, they will be noticed and they will be noticed as generally good. This is not to say that they'll understand that they come from faith uh, or that, you know, a saving God has worked it in them, but they will see uh, this good and gentle nature of these women and will know, right, they're not um, terrible people with a terrible message. <laughs> They'll know that they're generally good people and perhaps would even want to hear what helps them order their lives. Paul then turns to the younger men last, and and the younger men just have to be self controlled. That sounds really easy, Pastor Oppie. So we, we get off <laughs> we get off easy, huh? <laughs> That's how it always happens in the Bible, right? The women get the long list. No, uh, we, yeah, I think you and I talked about this a little bit uh, before recording too, and it is an interesting thing here. Back to the different stations in life, and again, I think most people have no trouble understanding that young men their prime temptation is that to not be able to control their bodies. And I I said that wrongly there. I said not be able to, and that's not the proper way to speak, but they have trouble controlling their bodily desires, Uh, whether again, that be for food, for drink, or for sexuality. It is the prime temptation of this age. And so so in one way, uh, these young men are being told, focus on this. You'll have enough work to do there. (laughs) That's, this is going to give you plenty to work on as a young man in Christ. Uh, and again, I, I think, you know, almost anybody in any sort of sociological field would admit that this is a particular temptation of this age for men. Agreed. And, and it's very over overarching. The idea of being self-controlled here does encompass just about anything. And again, it, it is one of the fruit of the Spirit, and it's, it's very key to the Christian life to be self-controlled such that you don't fall into all those sort of, I mean, desires that that young men would be prone to fall into. From there, then, Paul moves to talking to Titus in verses 7 and 8, and then to slaves in verses 9 and 10. Pastor Hoppy, we've got about 11 minutes, and I want to make sure we save time to get to the Christmas text that's coming here at the end of this chapter. But, but briefly take us into what Paul has to say to Titus, and I would think for pastors generally in verses 7 and 8, and then to slaves in verses 9 and 10. Yeah, this is one of those things that always, I don't know about you, but terrifies me when I read these verses uh, that are given to pastors where uh, we are told to be examples or Paul will tell others to imitate himself. Um, and, you know, it's terrifying to me in the sense of, right, what a responsibility then um, that person that has been called into the office of the holy ministry has, that they are not only to teach sound doctrine uh, with their mouths, but they are also to live live uh, in sound ways that others might follow them. Um, And that is what Titus is told to do here, right? Both in his teaching and in his life, uh, he is to be an example to others. And if he is, again, the world, even the disbelieving, unbelieving, uh, and, uh, you know, the world set opposed to Christ will not be able to come up with all sorts of things to list when trying to dismiss what the church is saying, right? And the, the world loves this, right? If we get a, a preacher who falls into sin, they love to try to cast down the whole message of Christ with the messenger. And so Titus has said, don't don't allow that, right? Told, don't allow that. Be an example. This is not to say Titus is going to be perfect, but it is to say that he is going to be particularly concerned with how he orders his own life. And then Paul moves into slaves or bond servants. What do we do with verses 9 and 10? Well, again, I think we want to just say um, in general what's being addressed and what's not being addressed. So here, this is not a passage that we're going to go to to try to figure out the overall ethics of slavery. Uh, I'm sure you guys have done some shows that have addressed that more, uh, you know, in a little more detail. And there's certainly a lot of stuff out there to, to help talk through this general issue. But we want to remember that primarily this is simply saying those who find themselves in this station, here's how they are to act. And what are they to do? Well, they're to let their lives adorn the word of God. So by how these bond servants live, 
particularly in relationship to their masters, they are going to be giving a witness to the word of God. And so they're not to give their masters a hard time always. They're not to set aside some of the things that they produce uh, for themselves. They are rather to show faith, uh, and they are in every way uh, to try to make sure that they're adorning the teaching of God our Savior in their lives. Because if these people in this estate that we might say seems to be the lowest estate you could be in as an adult at least, if the people in those estates are still living according to God's ordering, well then there in the weakness of man, the power of Christ shines brilliantly. Yeah, well well said. And and notice that this is then how Paul makes the transition. He says that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. He uses that to make this transition in this beautiful passage, Titus 2 verses 11 through 14, which I call a Christmas text. It shows up in our lectionary in the Christmas midnight readings, which is a fantastic time to hear a text like that. The grace of God has appeared. So, Pastor Hoppy, how is this a Christmas text? And then how does Paul do a lot more than what maybe you and I would traditionally consider Christmas? Yeah, well, like you said, it certainly starts off here at Christmas. It starts off here with the incarnation, God becoming flesh. And like you said, when we read it in that liturgical context— Right where perhaps there's a banner up or uh, there is a manger sitting out in the narthex or whatever is all around your church that speaks of Christmas. And then you hear these words, the grace of God has appeared. And now the grace of God is no longer a concept, but it is a person, a tiny baby in a manger, God in the flesh come to save us. And that's right where it starts is this is the coming of God. This is the grace of God becoming personal to us, meaning as a person and then person to person to us. Uh, And when he appears, he brings salvation for all people, right? Uh, To save the entire uh, world. Um, And yet at the same time, by the end of these verses, we're going to be talking again about another appearing, right? Uh, Right now, we're kind of in these uh, two seasons of the church year, right? We're just ending up the old church year, and we're going to go into Advent in this general time frame that you'll hear this program. And both of those talk to us a lot about the coming of our Lord Jesus at the end. Again, Advent a little bit more on his first coming, but even there, a lot of our texts kind of push us towards thinking of the last days. And so God appeared once, right, uh, in his grace and the incarnation, but he is going to come again at the end of time. And that is our blessed hope. That's where we put all of our hope is that the fact that Jesus will return uh, and he is going to come. Who's going to come? Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You probably could do a whole hour just on those words, right? That Paul addresses Jesus here as both God and Savior. But those two comings, those two appearings are very central to these verses. His coming in Bethlehem and his coming on the last day. Right. You, you can see how those themes just blend right together for Paul. And as you said, this happens in the church year when you get that transition from one church year to the next. And sometimes it's it's hard to tell that a new church year has started because those themes just, just blend together so nicely as we consider Christ's first coming for us as a babe in Bethlehem. Our minds right now just can't help but move to his second coming for which we are waiting. And the thing that I think you see Paul do with both of those comings or those appearings, as it's translated here in Titus 2, is is he connects that, okay, Christ's first coming makes a difference in the way you live right now. And his second coming also makes a difference in the way you live right now, which fits in very nicely with everything that he's been saying so far, this matter of teaching what accords with sound doctrine or what will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. These, These two comings of Christ the first and the second, both make a difference for us as Christians right now in in the way that we live. 
Yeah, I would say, right, we can almost talk about kind of three parts of the Christian life, broadly speaking, that are addressed here and throughout scriptures, right? There is the actual act of us being saved, right? The act of us believing and being baptized uh, and therefore having saving faith. But then from there, the rest of our life is kind of consumed with two other things. One is the living of godly lives. That's that adorning the gospel or the, the word of God, right, with our lives. And then the second thing is this way this waiting for the second coming. Uh, and again, those all get wrapped together. They're not, it's not, not a timeline that, you know, we go from being saved to living godly lives to then waiting. They're kind of all happening at once. We're always rejoicing that we have been saved and that in one way we're saved week by week, right? As we hear the word of forgiveness, as we eat the body and the blood, uh, we're saved uh, time and time again. Uh, and then we leave, right, to go out and live our godly lives. But why? Because we know that not only has God appeared, but he will appear. And we are putting all of our hope in that reappearing. Paul then brings this chapter to a conclusion in in verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. How does this help to, to tie all this together, Pastor Hoppe? Well, as we mentioned, this whole book has a lot to do with ordering, a lot to do with authority. Uh, And here, Titus is reminded that he has authority, not because of some talent he has, uh, not even just because, you know, Paul says that he has it, but rather he has God's authority, as as we would say it, right? They called an ordained uh, minister of the gospel. Uh, He has this authority, and therefore he is to use it for the good of the people. Now, when we say that, sometimes we think for the good of the people in our day, we hear that and we think, do what they want, right? That that's how we use our authority is simply to capitulate to whatever they want so they are happy. But here we get something quite different, right? He is to exhort, uh, which is, right, to tell people how they ought to live their lives. And then he is also to rebuke when they are not and to do that with all authority and let no one disregard. So these are, I mean, when you read these words, they're pretty stark that Titus is not going to be given a pass here if he just says, I don't really want to address this, right? I don't really want to address that the younger women are not being trained in this way or that the younger men are not examining or not exhibiting any self-control. No, it is his job precisely because of the role he has been given, the authority has been given by God to address these things. And ultimately, right, even though I'll admit the end of the verse doesn't say this here, but ultimately to lead people back to the blessed comfort that the grace of God has appeared and that our great God and Savior Jesus will appear in glory. Yeah, it always, always comes back to that for the pastor. Pastor Philip Hoppe is the pastor at Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota, helping us this morning with Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Pastor Hoppe, thanks for being our guest today. So glad to be with you again. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.